Welcome everyone to another episode of Shoes and Tech. My name is Susan. I'm a software engineer here at This Dot. Um, I'm Priya Krishnakumar. I am a visual journalist at CNN. And hi everyone, my name is Daisy Nolan. I am a front-end software engineer at Publicist. You can find me on Twitter at Daisy underscore Nolan. Awesome. Did you work your tail off to get that senior developer gig just to realize that senior dev doesn't actually mean dream job? I've been there too. My first senior developer job was at a place where all of our triumphs were the bosses and all the failures were ours. The second one was a great place to continue to learn and grow, only for it to go under due to poor management. And now I get job offers from great places to work all the time. Not only that, but the last job interview I actually sat in was a discussion about how much my podcast had helped the people interviewing me. If you're looking for a way to get into your dream job, then join our Dev Heroes Accelerator. Not only will we help you get the kind of exposure that makes you attractive to your dream employer, but you'll be able to ask them for top dollar as well. Check it out at devheroesaccelerator.com. So we have a very interesting and exciting episode for you guys today. So Priya comes from a slightly different background than some of her previous guests where she is in journalism and she has a bit of a background in tech and coding. So we wanted to get her perspective on how she's gotten into her specific role and how her passion for tech has sort of intertwined with a role as well as any tips for other people who might be interested in a slightly different role in tech. So Priya, can you tell us a little bit about your background and how you got into your current position? Yeah, so I went to college to study journalism, but I've always been really interested in like the visual side of journalism. So when I was in college, I was working for a news magazine and I was doing a lot of the like layout and design. And I was looking for a way to kind of like translate those skills into a real like journalism job after I graduated. And one of my professors suggested that I look into graphics and data visualization within journalism, which honestly like had never really even occurred to me. I think it, I went to a very traditional journalism program and it just wasn't something that we studied much or talked about. So then a couple of years later, I ended up getting an internship at the Washington Post on their graphics desk and they were so welcoming to me. And also while I was there, I think almost everyone on the team, it was basically all women all young women, just a few years older than me. And I, I think that made such a huge difference in encouraging me to kind of pursue this as a career path because I it just made me realize like what was possible. So after that, I ended up at the Los Angeles Times um, where I worked for six years as a graphics and data journalist. And there I was kind of a general assignment reporter, like if the story, regardless of subject, like if the story needed graphics or like some sort of data analysis or a map, they would bring it to our team. And we were working on, we were doing print graphics, we were doing interactive graphics, and it was a really great experience. But then last summer, after all the events of last summer, CNN kind of spun up a team that was focused on race and inequality. And also they were beefing up their policing coverage as well. And so they were looking for a visuals and data person to help kind of amplify that coverage. And I just thought that it sounded like the coolest opportunity to kind of work on a subject that I'm super passionate about and also still get to do the kind of journalism that I love, which combines like coding and data analysis and visuals. So that's kind of why I made the jump. And I've been there for about seven months now. So yeah. 
That is amazing. My degree was in communications before I switched into engineering uh, full-time. So that was something, yeah, when you were saying the traditional like journalism courses, that's what I took. Actually, today, when I was looking at your LinkedIn, uh, seeing that uh, you taught a, what was it, like an intro to coding for like storytelling, it was a journalism class. I was like, that is amazing. So can you kind of like go into detail about kind of what the class looked like. So I kind of did some digging and saw that y'all use like HTML, CSS, and JavaScript for storytelling. So can you like, yeah, talk more about that? Yeah. So I think it was, I taught the class last year. And so I didn't go to USC, but they, that's where I ended up teaching or adjunct teaching. And they, I think are really trying to make their journalism program really modern and really set their students up for success in kind of like the modern journalism world. And so one of the required classes that they have to take is intro to coding for journalists. And I I thought that was really cool. It definitely was not a requirement when I was in college. So I, one of my friends had been teaching the class for a long time, and then he had like recommended me for a job there. And so the class is mainly just to show these young journalists what's possible. I think a lot of them come into college USC has a really strong broadcast journalism program. So a lot of them kind of come in with that mindset. And I mean, it's nice because when I started teaching the class, I could tell that they were all so nervous to like, like the concept of like coding just seems so out of the realm of possibility from what a lot of them had been like thinking they could even do as journalists. And like the class is, we teach them pretty basic HTML, CSS, and then we teach them some JavaScript, jQuery, and basically just teach them how like, a web page works. And even if they don't like end up pursuing that as what they want to do within journalism, I think just like knowing how the internet works is like essential as a journalist right now. So yeah, and I don't know, the students were so sweet. They were like so excited to learn about this stuff. A lot of the class was remote near the end because of COVID. So that was kind of sad. But yeah, I'm like, I haven't taught for the last couple of semesters because I was like transitioning to a new job and all that. But I really like want to get back into it because it is just nice to show, I guess, a younger generation of journalists what they can do. That's awesome. I was actually about to ask if you're interested in teaching some of those classes again, because I imagine that journalism, just like tech, it changes so rapidly in a short period of time. So the type of students that you might have taught a few years ago you know, the industry has changed so much that what the students are learning now is probably going to be on a different scale. So that's awesome that you're able to also keep up with how the industry is changing, but also teaching people that. So I feel like in a really interesting way, that is how your passion for tech kind of comes through. And particularly in your role, since you do so much with graphics, can you talk a little bit about how data visualization and I guess graphics editing has shaped you to be successful in your role? Because As someone who reads a lot of news, I think there is a very big difference between a journalist who maybe only uses text to get some of their topics across, and then other journalists who really do incorporate different visuals and other sort of data and graphics related stuff into their content. So do you feel like data visualization is a big part of your role, or do you think it's something you're just slowly starting to incorporate? Well, it's it's always kind of been like what I've focused on. I think, I think there's a lot of, there are a lot of stories where you can, you can write the story in text. And I think that's also a really important, like essential skill, but there are certain things that as a reader, you just understand more when you see it as like a a map or a chart or, or something like that. And I think like, it's important to, for me to be able to just take a set of data and just think about how a reader would be able to understand it 
as simply and as clearly as possible. And I think that's sort of like the guiding like principles in a lot of like what I do. And I think a lot of my job is to just be as collaborative as I can because like data journalism is, it's a really small field and it's like a really niche field that requires you also to work with journalists across all sorts of specialties and kind of disciples within journalism. And so I think like having a really open collaborative attitude towards the work I'm doing and then working with reporters who maybe don't do data visualization, but also understand the importance of it has been really essential in all of my best work, if that makes sense. Definitely. For all of our listeners, I would definitely recommend reading an article that was written called Why Hate Crime Data Can't Capture the True Scope of Anti-Asian Violence. And that was actually one of the first ones that I read of yours. And being able to understand the scale, especially with data visualization, really gives you a better idea of truly what that looks like, right? And I think because all of us, we all come from different backgrounds, have a lot of different studies, and we might not know exactly what that looks like. But seeing that data visualization is kind of at least for me, helped kind of ground me in understanding what the scale of that looks like. So being able to apply that not only in sort of the journalism industry, but really in anything else, right? It's really an understanding and being empathetic to the people who are reading your content to help them understand what you're trying to, what you're trying to tell them. So I feel like that has probably been a big part in how people are able to really empathize and understand the content that you're writing. So just as, because I feel like this perspective is so interesting, do you have any just sort of general tips on maybe some people who are interested in design in this way and interested in visualizing data, but just don't know where to start? So maybe not even necessarily for journalism, but in general, let's say someone has this passion for design and wanting to you know, help people understand data. Do you have any general tips on maybe how you got started in terms of taking courses or following any role models that you felt like um, had a similar work style as you? I guess I'll separate them out into kind of two things because I think like design and data are, I mean, they're definitely intertwined, but they're like kind of two separate skills. Mm. I think when I was starting to get into like web design and like front-end development, I, one of the tips that someone gave me was just like, try designing your own portfolio site or just try designing your own website. And that just kind of gives you like this great like blank canvas to just try out just putting a web page together. You can like mess up. You can make it look like however you want. The stakes are very low. Um, so it's just like a nice way to kind of experiment with web design. And then in terms of data visualization, I mean, really the best, I guess, way to get better at it is just practice. I would say there are, there's so many, like I would just say pick a topic that you're interested in, find a data set, and then Think about how you could best visualize it. Like, would this work best as an infographic or a bar chart? And there's so many for visualizing data. I I use like either D3 or I'll use Adobe Illustrator. But if that's like a little bit high of like a barrier to entry, there's all these other tools you can use to at least like practice and see what types of visualizations work best. I really recommend the site called Data Wrapper, which kind of just lets you put in like a clean data set. And it's free. You can kind of pick out which like, which types of visuals work best for the data set that you have. And so honestly, I just think like practice and like repetition is really just like the key to getting better. I think when I first started at the LA Times, I, all I did for the first like six months I was there were like bar charts, line charts, and like really basic maps. And, you know, once you build up that skill set, then you're like in a really good place to try getting 
weird and getting experimental, but I think like getting the fundamentals down first, especially when you're trying to communicate to readers is really, really important. It's a long answer. (laughs) I'm a very visual person. And so anytime I'm learning anything, like I always look, okay, does this like article have any of those like infographics or when I'm learning, like, okay, do they have any kind of graphics? Like, I feel like it's so important and very underestimated because I can't just read a bunch of text and just like fully understand. So that's, yeah, really, yeah, interesting. But yeah, I just a mirror kind of what Daisy said, like, especially with some of the younger generations, if you will, I feel like the attention span is also very different, right? And let's say you're writing some content that is not only meant for one type of audience. So for example, if I'm reading an article with no pictures, my understanding might be different from someone like my mom, where English is a second language for her. But being able to not only see pictures, but literally data visualization, again, kind of helps us find sort of that common ground of what that means. So I think with that in mind, I feel like it also kind of goes into accessibility, right? Just being able to, yes, because I know Daisy and I have always talked about accessibility in these episodes, but Like, how can we reach more viewers in a way where they can understand the information, the way we're trying to portray that information? So I feel like how great is it that we can use not only data, but design and intertwine that to to really enhance that. And I know Daisy uh, can talk a little bit more about that as well. Yeah, so I'm like really big into accessibility. That's something I want to learn more about. But yeah, I mean, it's such a beast because you have to think about all the users, not just like visually impaired, but auditory and cognitive impairments as well. So when you were teaching your coding class, I was just curious to see if that was something like y'all kind of dived into being into graphics and things like that. Was that something that when you create your graphics, you have to think of those those attributes to make sure like screen readers can understand what those are and things like that. Yeah. Yes. And I think that's like something that I think it's something that as journalists, we're kind of just now starting to really wrap our minds around, but I think it's super important. I think like making sure that if you have like a chart or like an image that there is like alt text and like good alt text, I think sometimes people will kind of like, like write just like whatever, just to like get it done, but making sure that the alt text is clear, like this is what the chart is saying. And just also making sure that all your graphics or everything that you put out as colorblind friendly is super important. I I think what's nice is that like most modern browsers make it very easy to test for accessibility. So there's just like, there's no reason not to at this point. And it's just like a question of, do you want your content to truly be accessible to everyone who's reading it? So yeah, it's definitely something that like, I keep in mind and we're starting to think about more and more. I love that you mentioned that there's these different tools. Like I use Lighthouse kind of generate a report and it tells me like, oh, this color contrast is off. So I really appreciate it because we try to be thoughtful when we pick colors, but depending on the size of the text, it doesn't necessarily work. And I really appreciate when you said create really good alt text. There's so many I see that just says graphic. And it's like, what's I, the point? Exactly. <laughs> so not I'm helpful. Glad that, yeah, I'm glad you said be as specific as possible. I kind of wouldn't have thought to be as specific to say what that graphic is showing. I probably would have been more precise than just graphic, but probably just not as thorough as like, line graph showing XYZ. So I I really like that feedback. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely something it's like, it's more work, but it's like good work. It's like work that, you know, when I do something and I know that I've made it like as accessible as possible, it's like a, I don't know, it's like a point of pride. It's like something we should, should all be thinking about. Most definitely. Um, I would say, you know, just 
with our current roles between, you know, being engineers, developers, designers, and journalists, we produce a type of work where there's a lot of prep work needed, right? Like people at the end, they only see, let's say the article or the website that's up, but generally if you don't work in the industry, like you don't understand how much work is put in to make that happen, right? So in addition to just high workloads and just having to do all that prep work, I imagine, especially for a lot of the data that you look at, can be some grim information. So kind of veering off into sort of a separate topic here, I'm curious, since you're having to create visuals for some of that info where sometimes it's not always great news, sometimes it's not always happy. So, you know, do you have any hobbies or anything outside of work to kind of help you feel balanced or just to get through the content? Because again, on top of the high workload, sometimes just the specific nature of that topic uh, can really be taxing, right? Especially emotionally, mentally, especially when we're trying to feel empathy for others and share that information. I'm curious if you have some sort of out-of-work hobbies or if you take certain breaks or any routines that you have to get you through all that? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think like for me, being able to work from home more has been really like essential in kind of being able to step away from work a little bit when things get like really heavy. I've like gotten really into cooking during quarantine or if I'm like working on a really heavy topic, I will, I can just like take like a 20 minute break and go like hang out with my dog or like I think it's just really important to know when a subject is weighing on you and being able to like recognize that and just understanding when it's time to like step away and just like, and when I do step away, I will like fully step away. Like I will like put an away message on Slack. I won't like check my email and just otherwise it's just like, like constant. Like I just have to remind myself that the news will always be there. Stuff will always be happening, but I have to like carve out time for myself to like live my life. For example, I am off this week. This is like my first time ever just like taking a week off to just like chill. And it's only day two, but it's going pretty well so far. Self-care is so important. I feel like so many people just don't realize how important it is. I started taking on like crocheting because I just needed time <laughs> for myself. And yeah, I mean, just doing that a couple hours a week has really just like calmed me down. So yeah, I really like that. Uh, what's been some of like the cool stuff you've been cooking? I'm really curious. <laughs> well, let's see. Let me think. I So I've been trying to get like better at cooking Indian food, which has been like kind of a mixed bag, but I've been using my Instant Pot a lot. It's been, it's been going okay. But I think like now that I have the time, I, it's something I have always wanted to like actually be like good at. So getting there. I've also been trying to bake a little bit more. I like, for example, until like this week, I'd never made like a pie before. So, and it turned out okay, but you know, I'm getting there. <laughs> How awesome. So though, Indian food and desserts. That <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Hey folks, I don't know if you've noticed, but I've been working a lot on figuring out how to help people become the most valuable developers on their teams or becoming the top 5% of developers in the field. If you're looking to level up, figure out how to contribute more, get the career you want, get the career that you want that will support the lifestyle you want, then you should check out the Most Valuable Dev Summit. I've invited some of my friends across the community, people that you've heard of, people that have worked on systems that you use on a daily basis, people who have invented new ways of doing things over the years in programming, and I've asked them one question, and that question is, how do you become a top 5% developer? How do you become one in 20 of the best developers out there? And so we're going to go ahead and have that conversation with them in interviews 
on the Most Valuable Dev Summit. And you can find that at summit.mostvaluable.dev. Yeah, I mean, you guys are definitely hitting on important points where self-care is important, right? And that can look so different to different people. Like, I know it's really glamorous to see, especially on social media, like, yeah, people are taking bubble baths and eating chocolate. And not to say that that's not a form of self-care, but sometimes a form of self-care is literally taking a break from work, spending time with your family, uh, getting your finances in order, like organizing or decluttering your room. Like it's not always going to look glamorous, but really if you stick to the goal and the point of making yourself feel good, feel better in a sustainable way, not just as a, here's a short break away from the stuff that stresses me out, but here I'm building a system that's going to allow me to, you know, be okay with taking these breaks and, you know, feel okay and not feel guilty about taking care of myself. So, so I'm so glad that you're taking the break this week and we really appreciate you joining us during that break. And um, yeah, I mean, cooking is definitely one of those, especially for me as well. It's one of those therapeutic things where it's a need as a human being, right. To feed yourself, but also being to incorporate your own family recipes, your own culture, like different things that you can really intertwine with food and what a great way to be able to use that time and that skill set to to just be at peace with yourself. Yeah, definitely. No, it's been it's been fun. And I also like totally to your point, like I feel like I'm getting so I have so many plans to do things this week that I just have been like neglecting for months, like getting my oil changed or like getting a car wash, like just stuff that I just have been like, I'm too busy to do this. But like getting that kind of stuff done also gives me like a sense of like mental which I think is important. Otherwise, just like living at the back of my head. Yeah, I'm one of those. I'm really bad about when working from home, especially that I don't stop work at like five o'clock. I'll keep Slack open. And if messages come through or emails come through, I want to drop what I'm doing and go answering them. My job has not set those expectations. They're, they're actually, they're telling me to enjoy my time off and things like that. And so I think, yeah, finding a hobby and being able to separate work from your everyday life, like is super important because for me, like I want to like give my all and I definitely mm-hmm. want to like, I guess, prove to everyone like I'm good enough. And so that's something like I struggle with. And so I need to do better at like, you know, setting time frames of like, okay, let's end at this time and do X, Y, Z. And like you said, like this whole week has been you catching up on those, those chores. I'm really bad about it because like I said, I'm just like always looking at work stuff all the time. But yeah, so yeah, thanks for that. That tidbit of like reminding us all to just keep going with our everyday life. Yeah, no, it's super, it's super important. Yeah, I would definitely, to mirror what you guys said, like for any listeners who are managers or people who have to take care of other team members, like please set up a safe environment where people feel okay taking these breaks and being able to take care of things outside of work because like Priya, you made a good point earlier. Like there were all, there will always be work. Like there, like especially in our fields, there will always be work. And whether we take a break now or later, like we're always going to come back to that. So it's really important for all of us to prioritize these things for ourselves, but also to different managers and people who are, you know, CEOs of different companies and stuff. Like, please help set up that safe space where people feel enabled to do that versus thinking, oh gosh, this job is expecting me to be online 24-7 or 
you know, deliver a week's worth of work in two days or something. Like, Mm -hmm. I think it's so important that obviously on an individual level, it's important to prioritize that, but also at a company level and just like a society level, you know what I mean? For us to take care of not only of ourselves, but of each other. So, yeah, I mean, I guess sort of rolling into that information, do you, for any of us, like any tips that we can share for maybe women in tech, people who might be interested in our specific fields or any information you want to kind of broadcast and share to people um, who might have some questions about this stuff? Yeah, I mean, so in terms of like journalism and tech, I think one of the things that I feel very fortunate for is that like from the moment I kind of decided to embark on a more tech leaning side of journalism, there were so many women that I either knew or knew of who who were already doing this. And I've just been like really, really lucky that that's been the case. And what's been nice is I think there's like this understanding that like, you know, it's, it's, it's tough out here sometimes to be like a woman in journalism and everyone, all the women that I know have been so kind and so welcoming. I'm like lucky that some of my like closest friends now are, are women who work within like tech in journalism. And I just think like, if you're getting started out in this field, like if you're feeling intimidated, just reach out to the people who you admire. I like promise they will be welcoming and kind. And like, everyone is so willing to share their, I don't want to speak for like everybody, but um, everyone I've encountered has been so willing to share their resources and knowledge and just like lend an ear. So I've been super lucky. So if you're feeling intimidated or if you just like want to like talk things through, I would say, don't be afraid to reach out to the people you admire. They will be probably more than willing to talk to you. I'm going to bounce off that and say absolutely 100%. I know, like, I volunteer my time as a mentor. I know other amazing uh, engineers in the community do as well. There is a website that is open source, so it's all ran by volunteers called uh, Coding Coach, and you can go online and find mentors that you kind of, like, align with. You can look at, you know, different technologies they use or where they're at in their career and request a mentorship. I also definitely recommend if there are people that you look up to reach out to them on social media and just ask if they might pairing with you or being a mentor or just giving information back. I love it when people reach out to me. I'm not always on social media. I try to set times that way I can get work done, but I'm one of those. I try to like respond within like 48 hours at least. So just be mindful that some people might have those, those timeframes, like when they're on social media, but yeah, definitely reach out. Worst cases, they're going to say, no, I don't have the time, but they might even refer you to other people that you can reach out to. Definitely. Kind of, again, I guess, kind of piggybacking off of what you guys talked about, like, you know, especially for all of us being women in tech or just being women in our fields, I feel like there are very unique obstacles that we have to go through. And um, I agree that I myself have been very fortunate where I've been surrounded by very supportive people, people who understand that the beginning journey of a developer is going to look different for everyone. And that support that's needed is going to look very different. So I feel like, you know, as someone who is going through some of those obstacles, I found that it was really helpful and also really important to be vocal about those things. Because if I'm staying silent about them, it's really difficult for anyone else to help me, right? And it's kind of unfair for me to have that expectation. But I understand that people can be really intimidated or really shy or just you know, they don't want to admit that they don't know something or that they might be wrong about something. So they're afraid to talk to others or ask for help. So 
I think luckily since we've been around people who create such a positive influence in our communities, like what a great way for us to pay it forward and try to help others who might be going through those obstacles as well. And I know specifically at this that through their apprentice program, they tried to um, hire women in tech um, who were at the beginning of their developer journeys. And like, what a great way for people to get their foot in the door through this means versus something a little bit more traditional where it might be more harder for them to get into these companies and get some real world experience. So especially for your role, Priya, do you feel like based on maybe some obstacles that you have gone through in the past, did you feel like those were things that, you know, eventually you were kind of able to get through on your own? Or did you feel like, you know, reaching out to the community, reaching out to your team were ways that really helped jumpstart you to feel more comfortable in your role and to really start excelling? That's a good question. I think a lot of the things that maybe held me back at first were like, just a lot of feelings of like self-doubt. For example, like when I started, I knew that I was very, I was good at front-end design. And that's like what I was super comfortable in. And like, if you gave me like a web page or like a story that looked like kind of whatever, I could like sit with it and then make it look really polished and good. And like, I was good at that. But there's other things that I like wanted to get better at and wanted to learn. Like I wanted to learn more about actual like data journalism and data analysis, which is like a different skill than front-end design. And I wanted to also be able to continue writing like as a journalist too. And so I think just like identifying the things that I wanted to get better at and then like reaching out for for help on those things was like very, pretty essential to me and like my learning and my like growth. And I'm lucky that I had a lot of people on my team who were, you know, both at CNN and at the LA Times who were super generous with their knowledge and just willing to, just willing to help me grow in the areas that I wanted to grow. Um, So I think kind of moving past my own self-doubt and like kind of jumping headfirst into the things that I knew I wanted to get better at was like very important to me. I don't know if that exactly answers your question. Oh no, totally makes sense. That's awesome. I think, yeah, it's so important to like find things that you're passionate about or like using your past experiences to help like get to a good spot where, you know, you're happy with your career and things like that. I worked with special education while I was like transitioning jobs and I got to work with uh, students that were visually impaired and auditory impaired. That's where I really found where I loved accessibility. So I use those past experiences to really it just gives me more of a passion to learn more about making websites accessible. Also, what's really funny is uh, my degree is in public relations, and I now work for a company uh, called Publicist. And so we deal with different uh, public relations professionals and marketing. And it's just really amazing where I can use my, like I said, my, my background and and find something where I can kind of use my degree and my knowledge in the marketing and public relations field, as well as like all the accessibility as well. So I, you know, another big tip is find those things that you're passionate about and see if you can find a role where you get to use those experiences. And definitely don't be afraid to, to share that on interviews. It'll let you, you know, stand out and, when I was interviewing for my tech job, saying that I had my public relations background, people were just amazed because they wanted somebody that could communicate uh, effectively, even though today I'm not talking very well. I'm all over the place. But yeah, don't be afraid to like share who you are. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that, especially as someone who came from a non-technical background and actually went through a programming boot camp to get to where I am now. Um, that 
journey is going to look different for everyone. I know there's a lot of people who, especially amidst the pandemic, have changed careers into tech and into coding. And it's so important that we're able to utilize those past skills into, into tech and what we do now, because tech is just so much more than just, I think what people might assume is, oh, you're just sitting in front of a computer for like 10 hours a day, which to be honest, sometimes it does look like that. But, you know, it's so much more than that. It's it's about understanding people, right? It's understanding how do we deliver this content in a way that people can understand. And you can apply this in various different industries, not only tech, but obviously in journalism and so many others. So I definitely encourage people who are looking to transition uh, into tech as a new career, like, don't be afraid to utilize previous skills that you have, because more often than not, they're actually really helpful, right? I mean, communication skills, you know, understanding team dynamics, even understanding how to organize a project, like things that you probably learned during school, during college and your other jobs, like there's so much that you can apply to tech. So, you know, for anyone who might be on the fence or doubtful about transitioning into tech, like I definitely recommend give it a shot because I feel like if I didn't take that step, I definitely wouldn't be where I am right now. And I wouldn't be able to meet the awesome people in our communities that, really uplift the tech and dev community. Um, so I appreciate people who share their stories about transitioning into this into this field or even just understanding how tech can be utilized to really help, you know, not only humans, but just help the world, you know? So it's really awesome. Our sponsor today is This.Labs, a best-in-class consultancy specializing in staff augmentation, architecture support, and leadership, and training for startup and enterprise organizations. Find out more at this.labs.com or send us an email at hi at this.co. So awesome. Okay, so we are actually going to transition into PICS. So for anyone who's new, PICS is where we're going to go around and share something really cool. It's not necessarily going to be technical all the time, but just anything that we're really passionate about, anything that we want to share with you all. And we'll have Daisy start us off. So kind of going off my last pick being coffee related, I have another coffee company that I really enjoy. It's called Rise Nitro Brewing Company. And so they have different like nitro brews that are like canned. I think they're amazing. I'm not like lactose free or I'm not like lactose intolerant, but I'm trying not to have a lot of like lactose in my diet. And so their coffees are oat milk. I think that they're absolutely delicious. They're really cool. And then when you open them up, they make this like roaring sound from the the, the nitro, I guess. I think they're, let's see, I think their motto is like, taste the roar or something like that because it's like a really yeah funny motto but (laughs) super amazing they also do like variety packs I did just look at their site today and they're like sold out of like all their coffees online but I believe they're on you can find them at Walmart Whole Foods uh, and some other like uh, grocery stores so yeah that is my pick Awesome. So my pick, it's not necessarily brand related, but lately I have been so scatterbrained. I honestly, I'm just going to blame it on the heat because I'm so bad with hot weather, but I'm also the type where I typically like all my items are black. Like I wear all black, all my purses are black, my wallets, everything is black. So what I've noticed is that that in conjunction with just being scatterbrained, I can't find anything. I'm like already having anxiety in the line at the grocery store because I can't find my wallet. I'm like, 
and it's a tiny bag. It's not even a Mary Poppins bag. But anyways, point being is I have gotten a purse organizer, which I actually just got like a week ago. And I love organization in general. And anyone who's listened to the past episodes probably knows that's probably all I really talk about. <laughs> but having a purse organizer for my bag has been such, oh my God, it's been like night and day, this 180 change where now like I know where everything is and it's like, I'll take my wallet out, they'll scan my card, whatever. And I know exactly where to put it back in. And it's exactly in the same space that like, I'll remember it being. So since then I've, you know, gone grocery shopping, returned something. And now it's like, I've memorized where everything is, where I don't even have to look like that's major. I don't know about you guys, but I like my hand is rummaging my bag. Usually takes like 20 seconds. It's loud because of course, who's not going to have a million things in their bag, especially things like Tic Tacs and gum that are super loud when you touch them. So it's just been really awesome to like, just have that peace of mind. And I know that sounds probably strange for people, you know, maybe who don't wear purses or don't carry a lot of stuff with them. But because I'm the type where I'm like the just in case person, even though I try to aspire for this minimalist lifestyle, um, I'm still just like, oh, just in case this, just in case that. So I'm the one who always has gum, who has extra water, who has band-aids, whatever. So I am telling you, if you are someone who like just completely forgets like I do, like definitely get yourself a purse organizer. The one that I got, I got off of Amazon and I believe the brand name is Verkord, V-E-R-C-O-R-D. But there's so many brands out there that offer purse organizers. And yeah, if you're someone who cares a lot of stuff and needs some organization, I would definitely recommend a purse organizer. I need that. I carry, kid you not, like I've got 11 tubes of lipstick in my purse because I never want to go without it. My mom used to tell me all the time, like, put some, put some lipstick on, you look dead. And so, um, <laughs> of course, when I'm in high school, I'm like, I don't want to wear lipstick. Like, I, for me, it was weird. Now I just can't live without it. I carry it with me all the time. And so, yeah, I definitely need one of those because they always fall at the bottom. I used to live in uh, Austin, Texas, so super hot, and they would just melt. So, um <laughs> So it's like, I, I need a better system because everything that you need is at the bottom of the bag. And then of course, like lipstick melts and stuff like that. I tried getting like makeup bags and stuff, but then I had 20 bags in my purse and it just was m- very messy. So can you like <laughs> use the same organizer in like different bags or is it like a weird shape? No, it's um, so mine, at least the one I have, usually the purse organizers are pretty generic in shape where if you wanted to switch into other bags, you can. I try to find purse organizers that like are really snug on the bag so that it feels like it's a part of the bag. And I have gone through this sort of uh, decluttering sabbatical, if you will, because I like at one point I had too many purses and I was like, like, why do I, I don't need 50 purses. Like, and I know that sounds like a lot, but at the time that was not like, it didn't seem like a lot to me. To me, I was like, no, I, I need 50 more. Like, why not? And then that came to a point where it was stressing me out. So what's really nice about this purse organizer, like I'm the type where I have like maybe five or six purses now where most of them are the same size. So I feel like the one purse organizer that I have, it's really convenient where I can take it out of one bag and put it into another, I guess unrelated. But the other problem that I have is they're all black bags, which do I need six of them? Maybe, but you know, at the very least, I know that my stuff is organized because I have a purse organizer now. (laughs) That's such a good idea. I've, I've like got to get one of those. I had, I also like used to carry on these huge like tote bags back when we were going to an office and I would just like dump everything in there. And then one time I was trying to find something there and then one of my coworkers was like, that's like, that's like bag soup. And I was like, okay, well, so I guess, I guess it's time. (laughs) 
Um, I can share, I can share my pick, I guess. So during, I guess, like working from home, I've been listening to a lot of podcasts and I also like listen to them when I walk my dog or when I like cook or, you know, I'm like driving around or whatever. And I think a podcast that I've gotten really into lately is this podcast called Maintenance Phase. And it's a podcast that is hosted by uh, one of the hosts of another very popular podcast called You're Wrong About. And they focus a lot on like diet culture and the toxicity of diet culture. And it's just like, as someone who's kind of grown up surrounded by all of that, it's been like, it's like transformed the way I think about certain things. I've like learned so much from it. And it's just like, I don't know. It's really opened my eyes to just like a lot of the ways that like the culture that we live in can really just try and mess with the way we feel about our bodies to like a really unfair and toxic degree. So it's been super great for me. I highly recommend it. It's called Maintenance Phase again. I'm definitely going to check that out. So I am like trying to have a healthier lifestyle, not necessarily, but I definitely see what you mean about the the toxic culture right now with like body weight and things like that, especially, you know, I feel like Instagram always shows like unrealistic pictures and things like that. And I, definitely for me, I, I look at these people and I'm like, I don't look like that. Like something's wrong with me. And I had tried all these different diets and things like that. And And again, I just wasn't happy. It wasn't attainable because I didn't realize how filtered and fake all these things were. So I started a healthier lifestyle where I am just eating better because I want to eat better, not because I want to, you know, necessarily like see results. I'm finding like healthier cooking alternatives. Like I love Girl Scout cookies and I found a, well, my husband found a Samoa Girl Scout cookie recipe that's with dates and, and coconut and stuff, but I feel so much better. And, you know, now I'm, I'm better like mentally too. I have so much more energy, mm-hmm. but of course, if we want to go on a date night, we do. And I'll, you know, still drink beer and stuff. So I'm definitely going to listen to this because yeah, I mean, I think that's something that is definitely wrong uh, with uh, the society right now is thinking you have to look a certain way. Awesome. So thank you, Priya, for being a guest in our podcast today. And I hope our listeners are able to make decisions based on the experiences that we've shared. Maybe they're interested in the role, taking that next step through their dev journey. And hopefully they'll check out the picks that we have, because I think all the ones that we mentioned today are very unique uh, and honestly really do help with our day-to-day so thank you Priya thank you Daisy and thank you everyone for listening in and we will see you guys next time for another She's in Tech podcast thank you guys so much for having me bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly the world's fastest CDN deliver your content fast with Cashfly visit c-a-c-h-e-f-l-y.com to learn more